Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Great Scott Podcast. Today, I am joined by musician, producer, writer, and director, Mr. Jerry Cohen. How's it going, Jerry? Good, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, it's a, like I said, it's a pleasure to have you, and um, I've been a fan of your work for quite some time, and it's honestly a pleasure to, to get you on here. Well, pleasure's uh, mutual. Well, uh, first thing, um, I was reading your bio, and um, it said that uh, you had started out in music, and you had, you had been playing ever since 15. This is this is actually true. Um, there might have been, if I had not made... Uh, you know, inroads in the in the television business, uh, and, and I probably my two fallbacks would have been either either uh, artist or musician. Uh, you know, on a professional on a professional basis. Right. Uh, and I've sort of kept after both of those both of those things on a semi professional basis uh, over the years. Uh, I had a music company. Uh, for a while, and, well, technically, I guess we still have the company. We're just not actually producing any any recordings anymore at this point. But we made uh, we made background music for mu- movies, TV shows, radio commercials, that that kind of thing. Um, you know, all real short form stuff. You know, some of our, in fact, our most lucrative stuff that we ever did musically were all cuts that were under 30 seconds long designed to be used either for opening credits or end credits on, uh, on TV shows. And it was all just sort of put out there, uh, under a licensing deal. And, uh, even though we, we, we had the recording studio cranking stuff out for three years, the most lucrative stuff we ever did was all done in one afternoon. And it was, like I said, Six, six individual cuts, all under thirty seconds long. Oh wow! Any so any TV shows uh, that we would have heard of, or uh, movies that we would know? Um, yeah, you know, one of the shows that used to use our music fairly consistently was Pawn Stars, and oh, yeah. another was American American Pickers, uh, because a lot of our stuff was sort of blues oriented, and and so it fit into the into the feel of those shows pretty well, and they like to change music with every with every scene and some of their scenes on those shows are really really short so cuts under 30 seconds uh really really are in their wheelhouse and so those two shows actually used a significant amount of our of our of our music and uh speaking of so let me let me ask you this first before i go into that um was that what you wanted to do early on as a as a child instead of the directing and and producing no no i talked my mom and dad into getting me a super 8 movie camera for my ninth birthday uh and i started making little movies at a you know at that time you know all edited in camera and all pretty much starring my little brother uh, but I was, you know, I was making movies from about the time I was 10 years old or so. Okay. And so did you go to college for this as well? Was that what you uh, had majored in? in no, college? I, I didn't. I actually majored in history, um, as, as another, you know, as another lifelong interest of mine. Um, and, but I didn't stay in school very long. I, uh, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I knew where I needed to be in order to, to, to get going on that. And, uh, 
so I, I cut my formal education kind of short in order to in order to get out to LA and get get to work. And uh, so what, what what I was going to say for as far as the music part goes, you've gone to also work with some of the the most successful artists that there are. Uh, just to name a couple here, Aretha Franklin and BB King being a couple of them. Well, you know, I knew BB because he did a thing for us on Married with Children. So uh, yeah, did, yeah. you know, my 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 connection with BB is is actually through TV rather than music, but it 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 did lead to a couple other uh projects that 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 he helped us out on and 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 one very 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 funny story where he actually was going to record a a pretty well-known song for us as the main title of a pilot we were doing but he didn't know the melody for the lyrics and uh he made it he made me sing it for him (laughs) (laughs) And, and let me tell you as anyone who knows me can attest i cannot sing a note so it was it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so um so from there uh like so yeah like you said BB King was on Married with Children and then from there was that when uh when the producing uh started to happen I mean as far as um from the music and then you just went straight into producing as well. Well that was actually the music as a as a professional enterprise was something that came along later. Um, it came along more in the, the early 2000s, um, and where I, as I was, um, directing half hour comedies from about 1990 on. Okay. So I'd been, I'd been doing the TV stuff and, you know, it took me quite honestly, it took me 12 years, uh, in the TV business, working my way up through the ranks before I ever got that, that first shot at directing. Um, so I'd been in the TV business for 20, 22, 23 years before I had enough time and resources to to try to make uh, music a, a, a professional thing as well. Yeah, I, I was reading your bio and uh, it seemed like that your whole life has kind of been around entertainment in some fashion or form of another. Definitely. I grew up in a in an entertainment family. My mom had been an actor and my dad was a, a, a producer on Broadway of plays and musicals. And so, yeah, I was around. That was sort of the family business that I grew up, uh, uh, you know, understanding was was show business. So the idea of having an actual legitimate job never truly occurred to me. Uh, did you ever have a, 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 leg- a legitimate, if I can say the word, legitimate job? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I did. I I was a bartender and a waiter, and I sold, believe it or not, I sold dress shirts door to door for a very short period of time, as that turned out to be something that I was not particularly well suited for. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I see. I I I, I did manage to here and there hold down some legit work, but all all of it pretty, pretty much for short periods of time. And then uh, also, um, you were also a, uh, and something else I, I found uh, very interesting is that you were a script reader for Aaron Spelling. That's actually true. That's the first job that I ever had in Hollywood in 1976. Um, wow. I, I, uh, I was lucky. I did use a sort of a family connection to get a meeting with Mr. Spelling, uh, but then he took a shine to me. 
he, he liked me and he set me up with uh, three other guys, a guy named David Auerbach and two brothers, Jeff Hayes and Chip Hayes, in a little bungalow on the 20th century Fox lot in 1976. And what we were doing back there was just reading all the material that was, uh, was uh, sent to his office, most of it unsolicited. But he was looking to expand his TV production business, and so he was looking for material. And it it made sense to him to have four kids back there reading everything that came in, and we were writing up little reports on it all. And um, you know, so we were actually there when the idea for the Love Boat came across his desk, and uh, and they were in the, they were busy doing Charlie's Angels and Starsky and Hutch, and so we as part of the company got to kind of hang out and watch filming on those shows a little bit for, you know, and I was 19 years old. I, this, I, this was cooler than X to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it was a great, great job. And then the time came for me actually to go to college. And I had promised my mom that I would go to college. And, uh, so I had to tell Mr. Spelling that I had to leave and he was, uh, he was uh, extremely kind and, and uh, very complimentary. And he, he tried to talk me out of going to college. And he, and he said, if I stick around, he'd make me a TV producer uh, by the time I was 25. And it was awfully tempting. But, uh, but I had, like I said, I had promised my mom I would go to college. And so I, I did go off and I tried. And that was the beginning of my nine-month college higher education career. Well, I, I do applaud you. I mean, keeping a promise to, to mom is a very important thing. It, it is. And she, when the, when the time came for me to go back to Hollywood and get a job, she was, she was fine with that as well. Well, good, good. Sounds like you had two, two great big supporters on, on your side. Mr. Spelling and my mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I definitely want to talk to you about Married with Children. That sure. is, uh, that is one of my guilty pleasures. I mean, uh, it, it's on late at night, and I make sure to always watch it because that's one of my favorite TV shows. And um, can you talk about um, what uh, the start of, of the show was like? Um, I know that there were quite a few actors that had auditioned for the part of Al Bundy, but then uh, I think Ed O'Neill, I think I heard, um, was on Broadway. That someone found him on Broadway and gave him a shot. Well, I think, yeah, Ed, Ed had done a lot of work on Broadway, and he also, one of the things that I think, uh, one of the ways that, that Ron Levitt and Michael Moy, the creators of Married with Children, became aware of Ed's work was a TV show called Popeye Doyle, which was based on the character from the movie of French Connection, the, the police guy. Yeah. And uh, Popeye Doyle had been a fairly short-lived uh, sort of comedic drama uh, cop show on TV, but uh, everyone had been really impressed with Ed's with Ed's work in that in that role. And I and I'm pretty sure that that is the reason that that he got the call to audition. Uh, for married, and um, I think the up until the time that Ed had walked in the door, the guys kind of thought that the prototype for Al Bundy was Sam Kinison. Yes. Um, but 
But Ed kind of changed that immediately uh, with 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 his his initial audition for the show. Now I wasn't present in that audition because I was the associate director of the pilot. The pilot of Married with Children was actually directed by another mentor of mine, a most spectacular human being uh, by the name of Linda Day. Uh, and she was a wonderful woman and a really, just a great director. And sadly, she passed away um, five or six years ago now uh, from from uh, complications of leukemia. But uh, she is one of the three people who who immediately recognized that, that the part had to be played by Ed. Uh, and so they they circled back to the studio and the network immediately. And I think, as far as I understand, there was no one who disagreed with the choice. And, and of course, 10 years, 10 years down the road, nobody could possibly have imagined that show without Ed O'Neill as Al Bundy. Right, absolutely. I think I saw like there's a characteristic. He's the only one to have been in every single episode of Married with Children that was made. That that actually, you know, I wasn't aware of that, but it makes sense. Absolutely. It, you know, you could have as great as everybody else was uh, in that show. The other name for the show could have been The Life and Times of Al Bundy. It <laughs> yeah. was really it was really about Al. It really, yeah, absolutely. It really was about a guy who makes minimum wage and uh, the family who doesn't love him. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, was, was there ever difficulty trying to get that show on the air, knowing what, what it was about? Well, no, I don't think so. I think that for a lot of people, I mean, I remember how I first first became aware of the show is I was working on another show that produced by the same company. And I happened across a writer's draft of the pilot script of Married with Children sitting in a control room where where one of the studio execs had inadvertently left it. And I immediately recognized the names of Michael Moy and Ron Levitt on, on the cover page because I had done a pilot with them uh, the year before. Uh, and so I thought, well, shoot, I love these guys. This has got to be great. Let me let me just snag the script. And I read it at, at lunchtime. And I went straight up to the executive offices of the company. And there were two particular persons at the company at the time. One gentleman by the name of Ken Stump and the other, a wonderful lady by the name of Fran McConnell. And I went and I knocked on both doors of their offices and I said, look, if these guys are going to be allowed to write about my life, I kind of insist that I get to work on the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and so that, that's sort of how I weaseled my, my way into the, into the pilot, into working on the pilot. Um, and I think that the general level of enthusiasm at the studio and at the network was, was really high for the, for, for the project. Uh, the idea, I mean, the original working title of Married to Children was We're Not the Cosbys. And if you, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you think back to the mid to late 80s of what American television was like in those days, where the biggest thing on TV was the Cosby show that could solve any problem in 22 minutes and everybody was happy at the end of every episode. And it just didn't really have any actual relation 
shit to, to the real world and to, to the real world that most of us lived in where, you know, if you had a problem at, at, at 10 o'clock in the morning, chances are the problem is going to be worse by eight o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not better. And so these guys had decided to write about that world. And I think, I think it was extremely exciting to all of us to, to be able to kind of sink our teeth into something that, that had a little more of a resemblance to the real world as we knew it. And, and, and that all went along fine until there was a lady in Detroit who saw one of our episodes in like the early part of the third season or so. Uh, and it was so offended her that she went on a letter writing campaign and tried to organize a boycott against the show. Mm. And that actually led to a massive increase in publicity and exposure for the show and really helped make it a hit because at the time of that incident, the show wasn't a hit. We weren't getting a lot of eyeballs and the numbers were pretty mediocre. But after that, uh, the tune in went, went up really significantly. Uh, and, and, and it really is, is sort of the thing that put us on the map. So she worked more for you than against you per se. Ultimately, the irony of all of that is that she really did. And I, I remember the morning that that, that 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 all hit the fan. And I called my dad and I said, hey, I guess we've got ourselves in a little bit of hot water out here because there are people talking to the sponsors and the advertisers about about boycotting the show. And he, and he actually said to me, he said, this is the best thing that ever happened to you guys. Just sit back and relax and watch what happens because you can't you could not possibly buy this level of publicity. And he was right. So uh, are you uh, originally from Chicago, Illinois? Uh, I know that's where your funders are from. No, and even to this day, I've never really spent any time in Chicago. I've spent time at O'Hare changing planes, but I've I've never really even been to Chicago. Oh, okay. I grew up in New York City. Okay, go ahead. So, uh, so yeah, I know that the um, all the interior shots, the beginning of the shots, were filmed in, uh, in in Chicago. Yeah. Well, a lot of that actually, and I don't know how well known this is. There's the aerial shots that we used at the beginning of the of the titles of the show were actually were stock footage that had been shot for National Lampoon's Vacation. Yep. Yep. And, I, I I see that family truckster running through there. Yep, exactly. So, so that's where we found that that footage. It was in a stock house, uh, and the clips that they did that that did not make it into the movie were available uh, to be licensed. And and that's how that stuff actually those aerial shots of Chicago ended up in our main title. And uh, the Bundy house is actually, I mean, a real house actually in in Chicago, Illinois. Um, it is. I, yeah, it is. What was there? Was there any uh, particular significance about that house, or or was it just picked at random? I think it was picked. I think that the guys were were um, presented with several choices. You know, obviously, you know, one of the ways that you transition from scene to scene in half-hour television is you you go in and you, to what we we call an exterior, which is you know a, a shot of a building from outside when in the court of it, it, the, the convention is that it resets the scene. It tells the audience, okay, this is where we are now. 
So it could be like in the Drew Carey show, we used we used uh, a shot of a department store in Cleveland uh, that was the fictitious workplace of the character Drew in that show. Um, and so it's a similar story. You go looking for for clips that you can use, or if your if your budget has enough money in it, they'll actually send you to that city for a couple of days to go and and film a lot of stock shots, which is like you know a static shot of a house or pushing into a window of a house or pulling out of a door or, or tilting up a long office building or something like that. And these shots are shot entirely to be used as three to four seconds transitions. Well, I, I tell you, Jerry, I mean, the whole show, just the writing, the the casting, I mean, we're, we're still talking about this even now, 30 years later after it's... Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you, Mike, that while we were doing the first 13 episodes of that show and everybody was having an amazingly great time because we were doing something that was relevant to our lives. And I mean, if you remember how funny this stuff was, that the, 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 the battle of the sexes was actually, you know, being played out all of a sudden on network TV and stuff that had been kind of taboo in entertainment was we were we were discussing these subjects and stuff we were having so much fun doing it and the general attitude around the set was oh my gosh i hope we get to make all 13 episodes of this (laughs) yes absolutely um and and you know who, who knew that it would go on for 10 years and i think at one point i mean it's been eclipsed now by 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 several other shows you know, Big Bang and, and some of these other really uh, two and a half men, some of these other really long running uh, sitcoms. But at one point, I think we actually got to be number two on the list for a while there of, of longest running shows. So what is uh, your favorite episode of, of Married with Children? Oh, oh boy. You know, I should have anticipated that question, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- there's one and... There's, there are a few that stand out to me, but the one we used to call it, it used to be known in-house as the Hole in the Roof Show. And I think the actual title of the episode is Who Will Stop the Rain? But it's an episode where Chicago is undergoing a prolonged period of rainy weather and the Bundys have holes in the roof. Uh, and it's raining in the house in several rooms. And Al, of course, decides that rather than call a roofer, he, of course, single-handedly can fix this problem. <laughs> and I believe, I believe we, we dropped him off the roof like three times in the episode. We electrocute him uh, in bed one time in the episode, uh, which led to a hysterically funny line that Peg had, which is uh, after Al is soaking wet and tries to turn off the light and get electrocuted. Peggy's line is, huh, it smells like ham in here. <laughs> uh, uh, so that, that, that episode is one of my favorites just because it was just, it was so larger than life. It was big and broad and very cartoonish. And, 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 and yet with the, with the most minor suspension of disbelief, the audience was taking a such a fun, uproarious, laughter-filled journey in in that 22 minutes. Uh, 
and of course, we didn't solve the problem. The problem was worse at the end than it was at the beginning. So it, it, on many levels, it was a prototypical married episode. So that's one that kind of stands out, uh, stands out for me. Always the roof scenes. I mean, I remember them trying to install the, the dish on top of the, the roof and all the guys and Jefferson and uh, some of Al's other friends from No Ma'am are up there. And you have like seven guys who can't figure this out. <laughs> yeah, I, rem- I remember that episode. That, that was a very, very funny one as well. I think that was from several years later. For some reason, I, uh, you know, at, one thing that a lot of people may not know is that about halfway through the series, we actually moved from Sunset Gower Studios in Hollywood to Culver uh, to to Culver City Studios in um, in Culver City, California, uh, which is about you know about fifteen miles. Uh, but several lifetimes uh, apart. Uh, and so I believe that the, the, the hole in the roof was done at Sunset Gower, and I believe the, 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 the idiots on the roof, the No Man, the No Man episode was done down at, uh, down at Sony. I think at that point in time, Sony Corp had acquired ownership of the series. I think they bought... I don't know. Nobody's going to be interested in this, but they, Sony had bought Columbia, which had bought Embassy, which was the original producer of the show. So we were on our third corporate owner at that point by the time we had to move down to Sony. And I believe Sony still retains all the rights at this point many years later. So, uh, so I want to ask you one final question because I could talk to you about Married with Children for hours on end, but uh, I, I do want to ask you about. Uh, I have one final question that I want to ask you, and then I'll let you go here. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into uh, what what you do, like directing or acting or, or something like that? Um, I guess you know if you're a kid, if you're young and you're still going to school and you and you think this might be what you want to do, do it all the tools are there now and all you need to do to make a funny piece of film or video in this day and age, you need a laptop and an iPhone, you know, you need, you need a camera and an idea because the rest of filmmaking is, is now open to any individual who's interested in it due to the proliferation of, of technology. Um, and so you, you don't need to get an education first anymore. You don't need to go to film school first. You can find out in your own backyard or in your own living room if this is something that you actually can do. You can write a scene and you can film it and you can edit it on your laptop with, with the simple software that, software that comes with a computer these days. So you know, my, my best advice would be get your feet wet. Um, try it. Go write something and film it and act in it and, and, and edit it and score it. And just going through that process as an amateur one time, you're going to learn so much. And some people are going to go, you know what? It's not as fun as I thought. There's a lot more tedious work involved in all this. And some people are going to go, oh, man. This is so cool. I get it. I see how you do these things and how you put them together. And I want to do another one. So some people will be bit by the bug and some people will go, you know what? Maybe it wasn't, maybe it's not everything I thought it would be. 
Uh, and maybe someone will go, you know what? I don't want to be a director. I want to be an actor or I want to be a writer or I want to build the sets. I mean, there's so many different jobs and, and functions that go into creating this kind of thing that there truly is room for all kinds of, of interests, all kinds of personalities and all kind of all different kinds of people. It's a, it's a pretty big tent the entertainment industry and 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 there's room for everybody in it absolutely i mean i used to be a production assistant over at uh, paramount studios i I worked on a a couple tv shows and um it's i'll I'll tell you jerry it's the most fun work that there is it's so true and you know the great thing about sitcoms that sort of set them apart from single camera comedies or single camera dramas or features is that when you're filming something in front of a live studio audience well, not only do you have to have your stuff together, you have to have a really, really good plan that's going to hold up because you need to get the whole thing done in about two and a half, three hours. But the instant gratification you get from making people, from real people in, sitting in the studio watching you do it, from getting those laughs, there's no better feel for me, no better feeling in the world than something that you've worked on all week and you've worked with the actors and you've worked with the writers and you've decided, all right, this is how we're going to do this moment. This is how we're going to tell this story. This is how we're going to show this joke. And when, when that works in front of 200 live individuals and, and they are just rolling around in the aisles laughing, there is no better feeling in the world and there's no other job I'd rather have. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you 100% more. Uh, but uh, Jerry Cohen, thank you so much for your time, sir. I hope that you do come back sometime. Of course, you just let me know. All right, sounds good. Hey, thank you so much, and good luck with everything. Um, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And keep right. up the great work with the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're, you're, you're very kind. I appreciate that. Jerry Cohen, everybody. Jerry, have a good day. Uh, you too, Mike, and everybody out there, have a good day, too.